lot of texts as I mentioned is in Second Kings and chapter four. So you want your Bibles open to Second Kings chapter four. Now, one of the dangers of doing character studies in sermons is that we can unwittingly veer into moralism. Well, the lessons can still be very profitable for the hearers, but we can easily fall into the situation of giving the impression that Christianity is all about living in a certain way with certain attitudes. But that's not Christianity. That is every other religion. Instead, Christianity is about Christ and union and communion with Him. Or in other words, glorifying and enjoying God through Christ in a ways of Christ. Therefore, it's essential that we remind ourselves repeatedly with the words of Christ. Search the scriptures, he says, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. John 5.39 All scriptures testify of him. The Old Testament testifies of him in prophecies, symbols, allusions, shadows, and types. This morning, the Lord helping us, we want to consider how elements of uh, three miracles of provision wrought by Elisha, recorded in 2 Kings chapter 4, typifies Christ, the bread of life. What is a type? Patrick Fabian, in his, in his book, Typology of Scripture, suggests that it is a character, action, or institution which bears resemblance in form or spirit to what answers to it under the gospel. But he adds, but it is not just any character, action, or institution, but such only as had their ordination of God and were designed by him to foreshadow and prepare for better things of the gospel. What I believe and hope to show that the three miracles of Elisha we are considering this morning are appointed by the Lord to typify Christ and his ministry. The first miracle that we must consider is the widow's pot of oil, the, the miracle surrounding the widow's pot of oil. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. Elisha has been training some young men for the prophetic ministry. These are known as the sons of the prophets, and they are scattered in schools throughout the land of Israel. We know that there is one school in Bethel, another in Jericho, another in Gilgal, and there's possibly one in Mount Carmel and another in Samaria. Elisha has been visiting these schools in a circuit. One day, Elisha uh, is in one of these schools when the wife of one of the sons of the prophets approaches him. My husband is dead, she says, and you know that he did fear the Lord. But now he is dead, and we discovered that he had some debts unpaid, and the creditor has come 
to take our two sons to be bondmen. Well, it was a common practice in those days. When a person becomes poor uh, so that he cannot make ends meet, no, no matter how he tries, then he will seek someone uh, who is willing to lend him some money. He covenants to pay back the amount at a certain rate, possibly with interest. Though the Mosaic law forbid a Jew from charging interest when he lends to a fellow Jew. What happens if the debtor cannot pay? Well, he can offer to serve as a slave to the creditor for a certain period of time or until, uh, until the jubilee. But what happens if he dies? Well, it is understood that the creditor has the right to come to take his children to be slaves. You see that in Exodus 21. So this has happened. Elisha asks this woman after she comes to him and says, my husband is dead, the creditor has come to take our two sons to be slaves. Elisha asks her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me what is thou in the house. The widow does not answer the first question. There's no need for an answer. It is obvious that she needs help, but she has no idea how. But the second question needs an answer because it's a principle in the Word of God that we must not live beyond our means. If we are in debt, we should sell off first what we can in order to pay off our debt. We should not incur more debt by borrowing from someone else to pay that debt that we already have. That's what people often do. That's why in the end they end up to they, they loan from loan sharks. Right? And then they incur more and more debt. If you are in debt, you should consider selling off your prize possessions, your music collection, your, your TV, or your chihuahua, or, or, or your iPad. You don't need all these things. Well, maybe you need your laptop to do some work. But those things that you don't need, sell them off and pay your debt. So this widow answers the second question. She does have something. She has a pot or a flask of oil, olive oil. Some commentators suggest that this is just a little flask, sufficient for anointing a person, but insufficient for cooking. That's what the Hebrews seem to suggest. But whatever the case may be, seeing uh, that what she has cannot by itself solve her present problem, Elisha decides to perform a miracle of provision for her. Now, if she had something that she's very valuable, she says, I, uh, well, at the back there we have this block of gold, and, uh, but you know, we have been having it for many, many years and we, we can't do it, we don't feel we want to sell it. And Elisha would say, sell it. Right? That's the right thing to do. But she can't do anything, so he decides to do a miracle for her. Instructs her to go to a neighbor's house to borrow as many empty vessels as she can. And then she is to shut the door with her two sons and pour out the oil from a little flask into the, uh, into the vessels. But I think the widow must suspect what Elijah is doing since the story of Elijah providing for the widow of Zarephath would have been well known in the community of the school of the prophets. But 
That is the difference between knowing and believing. Well, we know that she believes because she obediently does as instructed. We can imagine her and her two sons going from door to door, knocking at the door of their neighbor and asking, Do you have a pot? Do you have a vessel that we can use, we can borrow? Uh, and eventually, they either exhaust the entire neighborhood or they decide that they have enough. So she goes home and does exactly what Elisha told her to do. She shuts the door, begins to pour out the oil from the flask into the first container. Imagine her surprise and the surprise of the sons as the oil continues to flow until the container is full. The container is probably bigger than the flask that she has and it's full. And she said, give, give me another one. And the son take another one and they pour and continue to pour. And, and, and another one, again, again, again. Until the whole room is filled with olive oil. All the pots are there. And, and she said, one more, one more. And the son no, no more. And maybe they even run out to go and look for some more, but it's no more. And then the flask of oil was empty. No more to pour. Oh, what a thrill the widow and her sons must have felt. She goes to Elisha excitedly to tell him what happened. He is, of course, not surprised, but undoubtedly very happy for them. He tells the widow to sell the oil, to pay her debt, and to use whatever remains for her and her son to live by. What a remarkable story, isn't it? By providing oil miraculously for the widow and her boys, Elisha freed them from the bondage of slavery and grief. Does this not remind us of what our Saviour came to do? But the Lord Jesus did not perform a miracle like that. But, but did he not provide for the families of his disciples with a two boatloads of fish when he called them to be fishers of men right at the beginning? And then right at the end, after the resurrection, did he not provide 153 large fishes that they can also provide for their families? And did he not free us also from debt and bondage through a great miracle? He rose for our justification. He ascended to send forth his spirit and to set us free from the bondage of sin. Is it not by providing the Holy Spirit for us through his death that our Saviour delivered us out of the bondage of debt and sin? Oh, thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for his compassion toward us. Thank God for the blessing of his Spirit, which we enjoy according to the measure of our faith. Through his help, we can live lives of Christian joy and hope that is abundant and free. In other words, we can live with the freedom that the widow and her two boys enjoyed through the hand of Elisha, only that our freedom is spiritual and through Christ. But now the second, the second uh, miracle is the miracle of the, uh, the death in the pot. 
So we skip the account of Elisha and the Shunammite for now. We come to Gilgal. Elisha is in Gilgal. Verse 38 onwards. What is, what is Elisha doing in Gilgal? He's there to teach in the school of prophets there. What is difficult to... Uh, um, it, it was a difficult time uh, in Israel, for there was a famine ravaging the land. So the sons of the prophets are sitting before uh, Elisha, listening to him preach. And all of them undoubtedly are hungry and tired. You know, when you are very hungry and tired and you are trying to listen to a lecture, what happens to you? You, you keep falling asleep, isn't it? You, that's what's going to happen. It's noticeable. You can tell that uh, uh, they are tired and they are weary. Well, noticing that, Elisha calls his servant, probably Gehazi, to cook a great pot of pottage or, or stew for them, some kind of soup, some very thin soup. Perhaps Elisha's servant uh, had brought along some grain or flour uh, for, for him and Elisha's consumption as he, they travel around. But Elisha tells him, put that into the great pot, add water, make a thin soup for the students. Little nutrients is better than nothing. Well, perhaps seeing how the pot had only some tasteless grain, one of the students uh, decided to go out into the forest to gather some herbs. And he must be elated when he saw a wild vine with, uh, with lush-looking gourds uh, hanging. And he must be thinking in his heart, well, this, this is going to go very nicely with the stew. Uh, so he collects as many as he can in, in, in his lap. And then he goes back and, he, and then he goes to the pot and shreds that into the, into the pottage. Never seen these gods before, but beggars can't be choosers. Um, so everyone is very happy until they pour out the stew for the men to eat. As soon as they taste it, they must have spread it out and it's horrible. Maybe some of them begin to gag you know, and start wanting to throw up. Oh, down, man, God! There's death in the pot. This, this, this deal is vile. We can't eat it. What does Elijah, Elisha do? Well, very calmly, he asks for some flour. When he has it, he throws it into the pot. But I wonder whether he stirred it and then tastes a little bit of it. But anyway, he asked them to serve it. And then they distributed the stew. And this time, um, no one complains. Is now edible. The poisonous stew or soup has been cured. It is now perfectly safe to eat. Now we should understand that it is not the flour that did the trick. There was probably already some flour in the stew in the first place. It's rather the hen that cast the flour in that made the difference. While Elisha has performed another miracle of provision. This is the eighth recorded miracle of Elisha. What do we learn from this miracle? Well, no doubt we learn that our God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, Jehovah who heals. This is what the Lord himself said to the people when Moses healed the waters, the bitter waters of Marah. Read that in Exodus 15. This is what it says, Exodus 15 and verse 26. 
If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon Egypt. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am Jehovah Rapha. Isn't it remarkable that though he healed the water, he used the occasion to teach the people about him healing the people. You see, it's not really about the water. It's not really about the soup either. It is about the people. God is Jehovah or Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. But insofar as the Lord used Elisha to heal the stew and preserve those who, who eat it or drink it, uh, do we not see how he typifies the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord Jesus came not only to preach the gospel, but to heal our diseases. Did not Isaiah say, with his stripes we are healed? Isaiah 53. Did not the Lord say through Malachi, uh, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings? Malachi 4 verse 2. Of course, Christ our Lord does not only heal our bodies, but our souls as well. And neither did he use flour. What did he use? His own blood. But Elisha is an anointed prophet. And he, no doubt, would have served as a vivid type to the people of what the Messiah, the anointed one, would do when he comes. So today, as we consider what Elisha did at Gilgal, let us turn our eyes unto what Christ did at Golgotha and thank him for saving us from certain deaths and feeding us at the same time. What does he feed us with? Not with stew or even bread and fish, but with his own body and blood broken and shed for us and all that accompanies that. But now consider the third miracle from verse 42, the feeding of a hundred. We don't know how much time has transpired between verse 41 and 42. But a man comes from Baal Shalishah to visit Elisha with 20 loaves of barley and also a full years of corn or grain still in the house. Where is Baal Shalishah? Well, we do not really know. Sometime before, before King Saul became a king, he went uh, about looking for a couple of lost asses. He passed through Mount Ephraim and went through the land of Shalishah. But it's possible that Baal Shalishah is a village in the land of Shalishah. If so, it is probably 30 to 40 kilometers northwest of Gilgal. Now, providentially, the men in Baal Shalishah was able to get a good harvest despite the fact that most of the land uh, is suffering from drought and there is a famine raging. Perhaps he lives near a water source and is able to irrigate his crops. Or, or perhaps the weather pattern is somewhat different at Baal Shalishah. In any case, he's a pious man 
who wants to do things right. So when he has a good harvest, he decides that he must give the first fruit of his harvest unto the Lord, according to the law of Moses. But he could not bring what he had down to Jerusalem. So when he knew that Elisha was in Gilgal, he decides to load his camel or asses with reprovision and set out to visit Elisha. And he's quite considerate. You notice how it's recorded that he not only brought loaves that are ready to eat, but also some grain, uh, still the husk, that can be kept later. Because if it's loaves, you become dry and moldy after a while. So if you want to eat later, you need to have the grain. And so that's what he did. Now, you must not think that the loaves of barley were huge loaves. Today, we think of barley loaves, you think of something that big and can fit maybe 10 persons. Well, in those days, barley loaves are tiny loaves. Not sufficient for one meal for a man. Well, Elisha gladly receives the present. We know that he does not always receive what he's given. Later on, when Naaman try, uh, tries to give him some provision after he healed him of his leprosy, he refused to take anything at all. But now he does, he does, he receives. Well, of course. The difference is because receiving anything from Naaman would have given the impression that grace is not free. That's why it was a great sin when Gehazi tried to uh, take some things from, from Naaman after that. But now in our text, not only is the man who comes a mature believer, but it's a time of famine. And, and, and the, the sons of the prophets would do well with some sustenance. So he receives what is given gratefully, and then he instructs his servant that he should distribute them to the people that they may eat. But the servant is surprised. What? Should I set this before a hundred men? He asks. There's a hundred men, and that's not counting their families. How can these 20 loaves and a handful of freshly cut ears of, of corn suffice so many people to eat? Does this not immediately turn our attention to the Lord Jesus feeding of the 4,000 and 5,000 men? At the feeding of the 5,000, Andrew said to the Lord, There is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Well, like our Lord Elisha before him instructs his servant to do as he says. Give the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof, that is, will have left over. Verse 43. And so the servant does as instructed. And the hundred men and their families eat their few, and they have leftovers, just as the Lord has, has, has prophesied or through Elisha, and just as the Lord Jesus uh, did when he fed the 4,000 and 5,000, there were leftovers. Elisha's miracle of feeding of the hundred pales in comparison to our Lord's two miracles of feeding of the 4,000 and 5,000. But surely it typifies our Lord's miracle. Just as Elijah typified John the Baptist, Elisha 
is shown again to typify our Saviour. But what should we learn about our Saviour from this miracle? Well, shortly after feeding the 5,000, our Lord said to the multitude who sought after him, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 6.35 Surely, Elijah's miracle was also intended to turn the people to the prophet who was to come, who would be the bread of life to all who believe him. Likewise, today we must learn the same lesson. The Lord Jesus says, Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And, and again, he adds, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. It's not referring to coming to him so that you may have breakfast or lunch like the multitude of the Jews did. It's referring to coming to him that you may have life. Let none of us go away from hearing about Elisha's miracle merely with the lesson that God will answer our prayers for daily bread. Yes, he will. He will answer our prayers. But the miracle is much more than that. The Lord is not only concerned with our bodies, he is concerned above all with our souls. He came to redeem us, body and soul. He has appointed two resurrections for us. You cannot attain unto the second resurrection without attaining to the first resurrection. The first resurrection is spiritual, at our conversion. The second is bodily, at the last day. Therefore, we should not only be concerned about our bodily health, but also our spiritual health. Most of us are experts at looking after our physical health, but how many of us are looking after our spiritual health as well? Well, we must conclude. Elisha's three miracles of provision were designed to turn the beneficiaries to Christ. Through his miracle or the pot of oil, we are reminded of how our Saviour feeds us and frees us from our debt of sin and bondage to Satan. Are you living under the freedom of the gospel or are you still walking in bondage under sin? Is your Christian life energized by the Spirit of Christ or is it lived by your own power? There is a difference between a spiritual life, a spirit-filled spiritual life and a fleshly life. The spirit-filled life is like the life of the widow and her two sons uh, after they have received the cash of oil from the Lord through Elisha. The fleshly life is the life of hopelessness that, that would have resulted had the widow not sought help from Elisha. Go to Christ. Go to him sincerely to plead his mercy. If you find your life to be one that is a form of godliness but deny the power thereof, that is your Christianity is merely outward and you are still in bondage of sin. Elisha heard the plea of the widow. How much more 
will the greater than Elisha hear your cries? But secondly, through the miracle of healing of the pot of uh, pottage, Elisha pointed the people to Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Christ, our Savior, is Jehovah Rapha incarnate. He took on our nature. Not only that he might keep God's commandments for us, but also that he might take our infirmities and bear our sicknesses upon himself. You see that in Matthew 8, 17. So he did not only take our guilt upon himself, but suffered the punishment of it and tasted all the pains and sorrows that are common to fallen humanity so that we may be healed and so that he may, have, he may be our compassionate great high priest to intercede on our behalf when we suffer in this world. Thank God, therefore, that he understands all our pains and sorrows. Thank God that he will deliver us completely from our sicknesses and pains and sorrows of this life. Are you in a situation like that of the sons of the prophets? There is death in a pot. Everything seems to be against you, even that which is appointed to relieve you of your sorrows, bring you more trouble. Well, go to Christ. As the sons of the prophets went to Elisha, he by his blood will make a difference. For he is at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding on the basis of his shed blood for all who live by faith in him. But thirdly, Elisha, by feeding a hundred with twenty loaves, pointed them to the Messiah who was to come. Today, Messiah has come. He has demonstrated that he is the bread of life, even as he fed the thousands with just a few loaves. Have you gone to him? Have you gone to him for the bread that endures unto everlasting life? Or are you still living in sin, digging the bottom of the barrel for some meaning and satisfaction in life? The bread of men will never satisfy because it's here today and gone tomorrow. Like those bread that the man of Shalisha brings, they will perish if they are stored. The bread of men will sustain you only until you are cast into everlasting darkness, pain and sorrows of hell if you do not have the bread of life. Oh, will you not go to Christ? I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, says our Lord. You can only eat of this bread if you believe that you are dying and perishing because of your sin. If you know that you are dying, perishing because of your sin, then go to him. Go to that greater than Elisha, for he alone can save you. Go to him by faith. Cry out to him to give you that bread that Elisha could not give you, even the bread that will keep you satisfied and full of joy and peace and love.
for all eternity. Amen.